Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning, too. It just wouldn't be near as much fun without you speaking to an empty room. That would be sad. The muchness of Jesus. Does that sound like caramel corn drizzled with chocolate to you? I just, I just have that <laughs> moose crunch, you know, in my mind with that. Anyway, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, and we're not going to do a lot of history this morning. We did a lot last week, didn't we? Because he wanted to get us up to speed with getting into the mindset of what was going on in Israel during this time. Have you ever wanted something so desperately that you just couldn't have? So badly that it actually caused you mental and perhaps emotional distress, your heart just ached, thinking about life without this just seemed like your life would not be fulfilled at all. Now, anybody that's been truly in love understands that feeling, don't we? But there are other times of feeling desperation when, when we just don't have something, we can't have something, we had something or it was taken away from us, and we want it so desperately. And in our mind, it's just always on us. And there's that aching pain within our heart. And for Hannah, who is the woman that we're focusing on this morning, for Hannah, it was the ability to receive conception to have a child. And she cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard her prayer. In ancient times and in ancient cultures, it was actually a shame upon the woman who couldn't bear a, a child for her husband to raise up the family name. And for a Jewish woman, this shame was even more compounded. Because she knew that God had commanded her and her husband to be fruitful and multiply. Remember that command back in the Garden of Eden? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And so this was a command of God. And Hannah's heart was aching because she couldn't have what she wanted. Not only that, she couldn't feel like she was really pleasing God with her life. Now, many women in ancient Israel at this time resorted to Baal worship or the Astaroth because these were fertility gods in the hopes that somehow they, these pagan gods, these idols of the land that was there before them, that that they might be able to help them. And so many women actually resorted to that, but not Hannah. Instead, she takes her burden to the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are God who knows each one of our hopes and every one of our dreams. You hear the cry of our hearts. You know us. You love us. You see us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. Help us to know, Lord, that you are so very near to every one of us. And you are acquainted with all of our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are times when we are just not able to experience the things that other people can. And it's hard because during those times, we have a hard time discerning that God could possibly have a plan and a purpose for our lives with our pain. And it's during those times that you and I have a decision to make. Are we going to live a life that is devoted to God or will we not? Because we don't understand why he could possibly deny something so fundamental, something that we, we need to have, we feel we should have, we have a right to have, or something that we had and was taken away. You see, I've discovered in our lives that when we experience trials, we either will run to God or we will run away from God. That's what happens when we confront a trial. We're either going to run to God or we're going to run away from God. Now, it's easy for you and I to read this story and we look at the circumstances of Hannah's life and we see it from our perspective and from our vantage point. And we say, yes, God had a perfect plan, a wise plan, a good plan in what he was doing in Hannah's life. But Hannah, try to place your yourself in Hannah's sandals. Feel the rejection that she felt by society every day. The abandonment that she felt and endured by people. And even she felt unloved by God. Let's see what Hannah's going to do with those heartaches. The hopes that she has. The fears that she's enduring. Now, I want to begin by reading some verses from last week's message that Pastor Aaron taught on to kind of catch us up into the story of Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, it says, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and went in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, 
but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to you, to the Lord, all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Now, like Pastor Aaron mentioned last week, Elkanah, her husband, is absolutely helpless to help his wife, isn't he? He can't meet her needs. And there are times when your spouse cannot meet your needs. And they can't understand why you can't be happy with them. Because there are needs that each one of us have as unique human beings that are created in God's image that only God can satisfy. Only God can fulfill. No person, no matter how close you are, can fulfill those needs. Hannah's hope was broken. Her heart was heavy. And we find that she chooses to pour her heart out before the Lord. <clears throat> Do you think this was the first time that Hannah did this? Do you think this is the first time she was in agony of soul? That she cried out to the Lord? Why should we keep praying for something? Perhaps God's timing was not yet. Perhaps there were things that needed to be worked out in Hannah's life before the answer could come. But Hannah makes a vow, and she makes a vow to completely surrender her child to the service of the Lord. And like Pastor Aaron mentioned in last week's message, this was not just the expected term of service for a Levitical male when he entered the priesthood at 20 years old and exited at 50. So a male Levite would, would serve the Lord as a priest before the Lord for 30 years of his life. That was common for a Levite priest. But this was different. She had vowed that her son would be a, Nazar a Nazarite in the womb from birth. And a Nazarite vow was a little different. It was a vow that the person that took the vow of the Nazarite would not touch anything from the fruit of the vine. So would have no wine, never drink it. That person would also not touch any dead thing or person. So even their, their, their father or their mother, they wouldn't touch that body, a dead corpse. They would, would keep away from it. And the other part of the vow was that a razor would never come to their head. Very, very few people would be a Nazarite from birth all the way through their life to death. We know of one other person. Do you remember who that was? Samson, right? He was a Nazarite. Didn't do real good with the vow, but he was a Nazarite nonetheless. Rather. Um, so this was very rare for someone. Usually it was for a short period of time and devote, devoting yourself more fully to the Lord. It's like, I'm going to really devote my Lord, myself to the Lord for these next two months or six months or a year. And so they would take this vow in the Nazareth. So let's get into our message here. Hannah is praying. She's praised before the Lord, verses 12 through 18. 
Verse 12, it says, Then it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought that she was junk, drunk. So Eli's watching her lips move, but he didn't hear her voice because Hannah wasn't speaking words. These were words that were formed within her heart, not within her mouth. And therefore, Eli misunderstood that Hannah was drunk. Can God read your heart? Does he know your thoughts? Wow. Men and women often misunderstand our pain, don't they? Our thoughts the difficulties we're having. But Hannah took her complaint to the Lord. She sought the Lord's validation for her pain and her heartache. So often we take our complaints to other people. And, and it, it, it helps us get our frustrations out, but oftentimes it doesn't really solve problems. Hannah went to the source. She said, I'm going rather to the Lord directly in prayer with my complaint. Verse 14, so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Now, I want you to notice that Eli is so quick to accuse Hannah of the very same thing that his own sons are guilty of. In fact, in the next chapter, verse 12 in chapter 2, his sons are accused of being that same thing. That word wicked is the same word wicked that he uses and addresses Hannah as a wicked woman is the same Hebrew word used to describe his sons. It means corrupt or in that vernacular in that day, a son of Baal. You're a son of Baal. I've found that too often we are all so quick to point fingers at other people for the very things that we ourselves are guilty of. Some of you know that many years ago in another lifetime, I was a journeyman meat cutter. During my apprenticeship, I was 18, 19 during this time, as a meat cutter, we had this guy that came as a kind of a sub journeyman a substitute journeyman came in and helped out in our uh, particular meat shop once in a while. I hated this guy. He drove me crazy. We're talking fingernails on a blackboard, okay? He just, the way he did everything, the things he said, the way he spoke, I just hated everything about him. And he hated me just as much. And one day, we were working on each side of the table, the butcher block, and he was cutting meat over there, I was cutting meat over here, and we got into an argument, and he stepped from his side and walked around to my side, 
and happened to have his knife in his hand. And he walked around to my side. And we are in a very heated argument. At that moment, I happened to look down on the butcher block, and there was my bony knife laying on the block. And I thought to myself, if I pick that knife up, we are going to have a knife fight right here in the meat cutting shop. We would have. I mean, that's how much both of us just hated each other. And this was before I was a Christian. <laughs> but God mercifully had his hand on me because I did not pick up that knife, even though he had a knife in his hand. But I don't think it was necessarily deliberately to threaten me. As a meat cutter, you just have a knife in your hand. So we were it just as that moment, he just walked around and had to have the knife in his hand. But it was definitely a threatening thing. God spared me. I didn't pick up the knife. Things calmed down. We kind of went into our own corners. A few days later, one of my coworkers, who happened to be there at that moment when that encounter happened and had seen other encounters, he said to me something that I've never forgotten, and I hated to hear it. He said, Steve, do you know why you and him don't get along? He said, there are so many things that you both are so alike in. I did not want to hear that. I did not want to hear that. And it was those things that I hated in myself that I was taking my hatred out on him and probably vice versa. And it's that way, isn't it? It's too often the case that the very thing we hate in ourselves is what we can see so easily and identify so quickly in other people. We're so quick to point flaws out in others that we hate in ourselves and either are guilty of it in ourselves. Look again at verse 15. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit, and I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Hannah has poured out her soul. Think about the description of those words, before the Lord. She has literally come to the end of herself. She's wrung herself dry. I love what Psalm 62, 8 says. It says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. When is the time, the last time, that you have actually gone before God and poured out your soul before him in prayer? We don't hear of that happening too often, do we? Hannah is misunderstood by her husband, Elkanah, and she's misunderstood by her high priest, Eli. But what I love as I was considering this is that you and I have a high priest who knows everything about us, doesn't he? Hebrews chapter 4 talks about Jesus in this way, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace in, in time of need. You know, even when your pastor doesn't understand you, your husband, your wife, your best friend, 
Jesus understands. And he knows all of the details. He's close to us. And he's really, really close when we pour our hearts out to him in prayer. That's what the Bible says. It says he, he draws near to the brokenhearted. And he wants to hear our prayer. So Hannah is before the Lord in prayer and worship. And she takes that position a couple of times in our text this morning. What I mean is Hannah does not just come to the Lord. It says she comes before the Lord. And there's a difference. That word before literally means to be face to face before the Lord. Wow. Hannah is absorbed in spiritual worship. She reminds me of the conversation of Jesus with the woman at the well. Remember in John chapter 4? And Jesus said to this woman at the well, he said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we not only want to come to the Lord, we want to come before the Lord. What's the distinction? It's subtle, and it's easy for us to, 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 to kind of become passive about it. Well, I, I came to the Lord, but did we come before the Lord? When we bring our concerns or our thoughts to the Lord, there's this separateness between him and us. But when we come before him, there's a unity that takes place. What do I mean? You come to church this morning. You come to worship. You can come and sing songs and worship, or you can literally come, close your eyes, and position yourself before the Lord. There's an intimacy. There's a unity. There's a oneness that takes place when we come before the Lord. So when we come to church, we're not just coming to a building. We're not just coming to an assembly. It is all those things. But we're coming to really meet one-on-one -on -one with a time with Jesus, that we are before him. We want him to touch us. We want to feel him. We want him to know us, to encourage us, to speak to us. That's what I mean. And that's what Hannah did. Verse 17, and Eli answered and said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. So he doesn't know what the petition is, but she, he gives a blessing to her. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. I find it interesting that God can use us in amazing ways. He takes the words that we speak and he can actually make something good at them. Eli didn't even know what her petition was, but he spoke and pronounced a blessing upon her and God used those words in a powerful way and brought faith and encouragement and hope into her heart. That's powerful. But you know what? The devil can often take 
the words that we speak as well and use them in a very terrible way. Eli's words, though, of faith and promise actually come to pass for Hannah. Hannah believes these words by faith. She's made a spiritual offering to the Lord that day. She has vowed a vow to the Lord. She's made a covenant to the Lord, a promise. She's come before the Lord. Hannah reminds me, remember in the Gospels of that woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years, and she said, oh, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I know I would be healed. And she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and she is healed that's Hannah in the Old Testament. She's got that same faith. I know if I can just come and come close enough to the Lord that he would hear my prayer and the sorrow of my heart, if I can just touch him, he will do something. He will heal me. He will make a way. He'll grant me my petition. And she received the blessing of God by faith. Next, we come to this section about the birth and the dedication of Samuel. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. This word worship in the Hebrew means to lie prostrate before him. That's the worship that they did. They didn't just come and do like, the sign of the cross, and go on. They worshiped, and then they went on their journey back home. Notice that Hannah comes to worship the Lord with her whole heart. And the reason I'm making note of this, she worships with her whole heart before she has any indication that she's been granted the answer to her prayer. She is fully giving thanks to the Lord and worshiping him, but has no evidence that her prayer has been heard, that her request is going to happen. Can we do this? Hannah is such an incredible example for us. She, like we, was is able to, and we need to be able to still worship the Lord, still come to him, even in that season of waiting for the Lord to fulfill his word and his promise. Verse 19 again. And Elkanah knew his, Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord, and the Lord remembered her. You know, you read things like that, and you go, what's that about? He didn't forget her. <clears throat> what does he mean he remembered her? Did he have to be reminded? Sometimes we think, God, is anybody up there? Do I need to ring the doorbell a little louder? Do I have to remind you that I'm here and I need you? This is called an anthropomorism. When, when the Bible talks about God and uses language in human terms to help us to understand God a little better. <clears throat> Things like knowing the mind of the Lord, like he thinks thoughts like we do. Or things like the Lord, it repented the Lord and he was sorry that he created man. Did he really 
not know what was going to happen before it, it happened. It's, but God's using terms for us to help us as finite human beings to understand him in ways that we relate to and understand. But God is not a man. He's a spirit, isn't he? However, what's cool about this is in Jesus Christ, God became flesh. And in that incarnation of Christ, Jesus now takes on the personification of every one of our five physical senses. That's, that's intimacy. That's the miracle of Christmas, that God would actually come and, and be flesh, be with us and live with us and feel what we feel because he really can't. He's, he's spirit, but no, not in Christ. She calls him Samuel. His name means heard by God or asked of God. Verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Hannah does something that often we don't do, and I really admire her for this. First of all, she lets her husband and others know about a vow that she has made. Okay, I have made a promise to God, and I intend to keep it, and that promise is going to cost me dearly, and she actually tells other people about it. She doesn't just keep it a secret. And then, after God grants her her request... She actually fulfills that request that she and that vow that she made, the promise of God. She fulfills it instead of rationalizing it away in her mind and trying to figure a way out of the promise, of the vow, of the covenant. She reasserts that Samuel, her son, that she has longed for for years is going to be totally given to the Lord's service. Wow. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his words so the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Do you think that Hannah wanted to nurse this boy for the rest of his life? I do. I don't think she wanted to let go of this child because she knew that she was nursing the son that was a gift that would be given to God. Each day as she took that child to her breast, she knew this is not my son. This is the Lord's son. This is his child. That is a real important lesson for every one of us who are parents or grandparents. They are his. It's his daughter. It's his son. Our children are really his. They're not ours. Our grandkids are also his, not ours. She recognized that her son was a gift from God, and the gift was never 
going to replace the Lord himself. And so often parents can forget that and make their children their highest priority even above God. Verse 24, <clears throat> now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my, my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Now, there are some Jewish things that are happening in these last verses that I just want to bring out for us to know. Because I think they're important. Verse 23 Elkanah validates Hannah's vow. Why? That's important because that is required by the law of Moses. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 13, it says, Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it or her husband may make it void. So her vow still had to have the the confirmation and determination of her husband. Because this wasn't just Hannah's son that she was handing off to the Lord. It was also Elkanah's son too. And he was in full agreement according to the law of Moses. And the offering that she brought to the Lord that day, it talks about this. This was a very generous, extravagant offering. This wasn't just Abel like they brought each year. This, this was a Three bulls, okay? So this was a generous offering. Why three bulls? The first bull would be given as a sin offering, and that would be offered wholly to the Lord. The second bull was given as a fellowship offering, and a part of that offering, the, the priest would take a part for themselves, and the people that were offering it would take a part for themselves, and they would eat it, and fellowship with the Lord as they took part of that offering. But the third bowl was for the specific purpose of the offering that was to be given when you fulfilled your vow to the Lord. And so as she's fulfilling her vow that she made to the Lord by bringing Samuel, she's also bringing an offering according to the law of Moses, to fulfill this vow. You might remember in Acts chapter 18, the apostle Paul makes a vow to God, and he tells the, the church leaders, he says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he needed to bring an offering as a fulfillment for his vow that he had made to the Lord. So the chapter ends by telling us that Hannah loaned Samuel to the Lord. Likely Samuel was four to five years old at this time. And there are times that true worship will cost you. Can I say that again? There are times that true worship is going to cost you. In fact, I would say it this way. If Truly, your relationship with God, your devotion to God, your commitment to God, 
Your worship of God has never cost you anything. You need to question that relationship, that commitment, that devotion. True worship is always going to cost us. Cost us. Remember the woman that fell at Jesus' feet and broke the alabaster flask before him? That was a very expensive, extravagant pouring out of worship to the Lord. And he accepted it gladly, and he actually affirmed her and esteemed her gift. Hannah gives her very best to the Lord. She didn't rationalize it. Look, if you give me two more sons, I'll give whatever one I don't like the most to you. The troublemaker you can have. No, she gives the first, not knowing if she's going to have. She hasn't read chapter 2. You haven't maybe read chapter 2. So she doesn't know she's going to have more children. All she knows is this is the one. This is maybe it, but I'm giving him to the Lord. Wow, that's true holy worship. She uses this word lent. It's an interesting word in Hebrew, lent. Shayal, shayal. It's the same word that's used as the name of the first king of Israel, Saul. Mm. Interesting that it's tied in even with this lending of Samuel to the Lord. So Hannah is saying that she is entrusting her son, because the word lent also can mean entrusting. I'm entrusting my son to you, Lord, for as long as he lives. Can we as parents, as grandparents, say the same thing? I am entrusting my son, my daughter, to you, Lord, as long as they live. Because there are times in our lives as parents and grandparents when we're, we're very concerned about our kids, aren't they? Aren't we? They're going this way. They're looking at this. They're doing this. They're not where they should be. And we're just like, can we entrust our kids to the Lord? Can we pray for them? Can we seek to encourage them and guide them as best we can as parents? But it comes a point in time when we have to let go and entrust them to the Lord. So a woman named Hannah makes a request for a child, and the Lord grants her desire. Years later, the people of Israel are going to make a request for a king. And they're going to go to this man, Samuel, who is now a prophet. And the Lord is going to grant their request as well. So let's look at some lessons as we close today of what we kind of learned today and what we see before us. There's actually over a half a dozen lessons in our text that we could take, but I want to just choose three to, for us to ponder as we close. The first one is that God hears the cries of our hearts. God hears the cries of our hearts. And you know why he hears? Because he cares. And if I could have the worship team come on up, I should have you come up now. God hears the cries of our hearts because he cares. And he hears the cries of our hearts that no one else can hear. They are able to hear, and maybe they don't even want to hear. But God hears those cries because he truly cares for us like no other. Second thing we can take away from this is trials 
cause us either to draw closer to God or to drift away from him. So another lesson we learn here in the text is that God not only hears us, but he also wants to respond to our prayers and to the cries of our hearts. He may not respond in our timing. He may not respond in our way, but he does respond and he wants to respond to us. And it's during that time that we need to be very careful where our heart is drifting, closer or further away. You may be here today and you may be experiencing a trial in your life. You have that challenge. Are you going to draw close to the Lord in your trial? Or are you drawing further away from the Lord in that trial? And the third lesson we learn is when no one seems to understand your pain and heartache, draw close to Jesus. He understands when no one else can or does. And I believe there are some here today that that is what God is speaking to you particularly in your life. When no one seems to understand your pain and heartache, draw close to Jesus. He understands when no one else can or does. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you know our uprising, our sitting down. You know our thoughts from afar away. And such knowledge, Lord, is too, too high. It's too vast. We can't attain to it. Lord, we can't flee from you. Even when we run from you, Lord, we end up running into your arms because you love us so much. And I pray, Lord, that we would take our hurts, our heartaches, our hopes, and bring them to you. That we would follow the example of Hannah, who is faithful in her worship and devotion to her God, even at the very deepest and darkest points in her life. And so, Lord, we choose and determine to say we will follow you all the days of our lives, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever.